think it's, it comes down to that, that series of choices. Like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, I don't want people to see that I made a mistake, mm-hmm. but we live in a society where we're constantly trying to be perfect. Yeah. And I think we have to get to the point where we choose to take the mask of perfection off with at least one or two other people. And if that one or two other people can't handle it, that's just information and you find someone who can. Mm -hmm. What's up, go-getters? Welcome to Get Into It Podcast. My name is Jay Amanda. I'm a UX researcher, international psychology student, mama, and so much more. I leverage my experience in corporate America, interesting stories from my personal life and academia to deep dive into complex topics such as culture and tech from a psychological standpoint, all while trying to balance everything successfully. All right, let's get into it. Go-getters, it's your host, Jay Amanda. Thank you for being here. As promised, I am celebrating Women's History Month, and I have an amazing first guest with me today, Alexi Grace. I love her, and I am sure that you all will love her too. But before we get into it, I want to give you all an update on what I've decided to do with the last, well, since the last podcast, as far as the job search goes. As I mentioned, I would switch up my strategy. So what I ended up doing this time was I looked up the companies that I thought that I wanted to work for and researched, researched, researched. And I put myself out there on a limb and I contacted recruiters. I told them exactly who I was, what I was looking for, and I actually had the ask. I asked them if they were hiring and if they were, could we meet? I offered to take them out for a virtual, of course, being safe, a virtual coffee or tea. So even though I am recording this before it actually happens, because I got back two yeses, I'll still have to keep you updated on the next episode. And hopefully I will have a great um, update for you. That's my hope. Okay. So before we get into talking with Alexa Grace today, I just wanted to highlight because this is Women's Month. I wanted to highlight a woman that I get the honor of working with her on a weekly basis. And let me tell you, if I was as focused as her when I was 22, I could rule the world. I promise you, I could rule the world. But the person I'm talking about is Amanda Wacker. She is the host of Stimbacy, which is a premier STEM show on YouTube where STEM ambassadors meet to discuss relevant topics, and we have a lot of fun. She is a PhD student at the University of California, San Diego, and she loves learning about biology and space and how things interact in interesting ways. And she's also a host of a new podcast called Triplicates, and that is her and two of her other friends that are first-gen women of color pursuing their doctoral degrees. They talk about their experience, they talk about advice, tips, all of that. So make sure that you follow her on Triple Kits Pod um, on all major streaming, as well as Stimacy on IG and Twitter, and every Sunday at 8.08 Eastern PM. Okay, so I feel that I will not do her justice. So I will introduce you quickly to Miss Alexi Grace. We met when we were, well, we're still in graduate school, but we met when we were in graduate school. And I think it was like friendship at first type. Maybe that was, that's what it would be <laughs> because we're virtual. And I want to make sure that I highlight her because this has been somebody that's kept me sane through this process. And I, I just really enjoy getting to know her learning more about her and doing this journey of graduate school and psychology in a pandemonium at the same time. (laughs) So before we get into her story, we want to break the ice a little bit and we're going to play a little game. Alexi, are you ready? I am ready. 
Okay, so what we're going to play, I love this game. It's called Rapid Fire. Now, whatever I say, <laughs> you have to respond with the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? So it's 15 questions. We're going to go through it really quickly, hopefully. But no judgment because I don't go through them fast either. All right. Ready? Yeah. Early riser or night owl? Mm. If you could only eat one flavor of ice cream, what would it be? Mint chocolate chip. Really? Okay, we got to talk about that. We got to talk about that. Okay. Okay. Chocolate, yay or nay? Yay. Okay. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Okay, yeah. Favorite type of movies? Mystery and thriller and drama. Really? I thought you were gonna say rom com. I'm biased. Okay. Heels or kicks, like uh, tennis shoes. Okay. Favorite instrument. Violin. Okay. I play violin. I was really good. No, 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 no. No, I said play. This is the past. This is this is definitely not present. I've forgotten everything I've learned. Okay. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Okay. Okay. You are better than me. <laughs> that was just a nostalgia moment but i do no ma'am i don't no ma'am not anymore <laughs> i wish <laughs> okay if if you could eat only one meal what would that be oh <laughs> probably salmon and baked potatoes okay what phrase best describes your approach to life Go with the flow or organization is the best therapy. Both. Okay. If you eat pasta, what's your favorite sauce, white or red? White. Okay, mine too. How would you prefer to wear your hair? Short and sassy or long hair don't care? Uh, <laughs> I get You did great. That was amazing. That was really great. That was so fun. Okay, so before we get into it, I just want to give our audience a little bit of, of a disclaimer. Um, today, we're going to talk about some pretty sensitive topics, and they are surrounded with sex and trafficking. So if there's anything that, um, or these topics, I should say, if these topics are something that's sensitive to you, go ahead and skip through. We won't go super deep into these, but we will be talking about these, okay? Just so you know. And I, I'm all for healing, but I want you to be, especially here, this is a space where I want you to feel comfortable and free. And when you are ready, then absolutely. But I don't want to bombard anybody that's listening with, um, with something that's going to trigger, you know, a feeling. So now, can you tell me a little bit, because I know you, but can you tell me a little bit about who you are and your story? Yeah. So I am 34, soon to be 35 next month, which seems really weird. Um, and I really, in the last 10 years, probably just started exploring who I am, apart from abuse, violence, trauma. Um, for the first 24 years of my life, I was trafficked by a family who obtained me in a way that I'm not, I, is unknown to me at this point. I found out probably about a year and a half ago that I'm not biologically related to the family who raised me. So there's a lot of unknowns to my history other than somehow I was born I was trafficked for 24 years and then I escaped um, on my own. So I grew up in a state where trafficking laws didn't exist. And so when it came to prosecution, there was nothing that could even be done in that area. So I kind of just had to get out of, out of it and flee the state that I was in. So um, in 2011, I started a healing journey 
and really started diving into who is Alexi. And at the time, my name was different. I legally changed my name about seven years ago now, which seems really crazy. Um, but just started taking back my life. And so in the last 10 years, I've really been focusing on getting into school, um, trying to figure out what was my life created for, um, how do I use my story to help other people mm-hmm. and to help encourage people who have also experienced various forms of trauma. Um, <clears throat> I was completely self-taught growing up. I never attended school that I have any memory of. Mm-hmm. So when I started my college journey, it was quite an adventure. Mm-hmm. I had no history, no background, and the Lord just paved the way for me wow. to get into an undergrad program. Mm-hmm. And I actually tried really hard not to go into psychology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not want to do the master's mm-hmm. or the doctoral mm-hmm. program at that point. The school was very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of questions and a lot of concerns and a lot of, I don't know what my life holds, but yeah. I know I want to help people. And the program I was in, uh, there was a gentleman who ran the program and he was very encouraging and very personable. He really got to know you and then tried to help give you as much guidance along the path without telling you this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And so the first year of school was crazy for me. Um, I didn't know history. I didn't know. Old Testament, you have all the different things that they had that we had to do as our prerequisite classes. Mm -hmm. And my professor was like, well, let me try something. And I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to put you in something and see how you do. And little did I know at the time, he put me in a fourth level psychology class, and which was like a senior level class. And I aced it with flying colors. I had no problem whatsoever. And he was like, girl, you need to go into psychology. And I was like, um, no, I'm not going to school for another six to eight years. Are you kidding me? So I uh, transferred over to uh, the main campus because I was at a, an off, off-site campus and transferred over to a main campus and tried to go into social sciences, tried to go into philosophy, tried to go into four different majors, hated every one of them. And my professor was like, girl, you are going into psychology. I'm transferring you. You're a psych major. Just suck it up and do it. And I believed in him enough to know, okay, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He wouldn't push me in a direction that he didn't feel like the Lord was calling me to go into. So I went ahead and went into psychology and somehow, by the grace of God, ended up graduating that undergrad with magna cum laude and international uh chi honors um and just excelled in psychology and then when i left that program i decided well you know i like the legal field and because of my history forensic psychology is probably a good fit so i tried forensic psychology lasted a semester and i was like uh yeah no this is just not, not covering it. So I took a few years off, uh, decided to get a job with Department of Family Services at the time, and uh, really got enough post and personal forensic psych is not for me through that job. But I was able to help a lot of people, just not in the way that I really felt like I was called to do. And so uh, I started looking into more grad programs and started exploring, okay, how, what would pair my past with my future and do what I'm currently doing today? And so I found international psychology and it just clicked. And so um, I've really been able to kind of explore my own history, you know, through my healing journey, but also through some of my classes and just to figure out, okay, how do I how do I work with people who have had trauma without triggering my own trauma and really trying to explore how to do that um, and give people a voice? Because I feel like so many people, especially women, have their voices silenced 
because men don't want to hear what they have to say or even other women. Sometimes other women don't want to hear what we have to say. And so I, I realized how important it is that we advocate for helping people find their voices and in many capacities, not just one avenue, but really helping women explore, okay, who am I and how do I use my voice? Is it through art? Is it through speaking? Is it through writing? Like, how is that? And how can we celebrate that and give people a platform to do that? That's safe and still get their voice heard. So I, I've spent a lot of time in the last probably two years really just delving into becoming the woman I am today, purposefully choosing, even when it's hard to get up, do what I need to do, keep moving forward. And even when I hit a barrier, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll bounce back, approach it a different way and, and keep moving forward. And so, um, a lot of it, a lot of my journey has just been a series of choices and analyzing decisions because I know every decision I make is going to lead to a destination. So which choice do I want to make that's going to lead to the, the destination that I want to get to, or that I at least want to attempt to get to in order to see if, if that's the direction I want to go. And so, um, that approach has been really helpful in healing. Um, a lot of times it's choosing to do the opposite of what I'm feeling. If I feel like I want to isolate, that's when I reach out to friends and say, Hey, can we go to coffee? If it's, if it's being bombarded by so many people and so many voices, then it's like, okay, I need to take time for myself. No, it's okay. And step, you know, step aside, rest, recover, and then get back out there. So choice is something that I feel like has been a, a very prominent role um, in my world is taking back those choices. Because for the first 24 years of my life, I didn't have a choice. Okay. I didn't get to choose what I liked, what I didn't like, what I wore, what I didn't wear, who I interacted with, uh, very isolated, very shut off, shut down. Um, and, but there was always something in me, even as a child that said, okay, how, how do I defeat this? And how do I not let them win? Mm -hmm. Because I, I never want the abusers to win. So four, I was strategizing in my brain, how I was going to beat them and not, physically, obviously, but just how do I outmaneuver them so that I survive mm -hmm. and they don't win in taking me out? Wow. At four. At four. Wow. Yeah. Alexa, you hit on, gosh, so many that is so many points that I know that is so relative to not just women, but individuals in general. And the overall is that that mental and emotional abuse, you know, that is something that could really take you out because if you if you don't really know which way to go as far as um, how to deal with it, how to cope, you know, what's your next step? Like like you were saying, you've been strategizing, but for someone that doesn't realize that they're being emotionally you know, trapped, you know, and abused. You're just like, oh, okay, well, I'll just do what the adults say. And then that carries on into adulthood. And you're wondering why you're not able to have, you know, meaningful relationships, not just intimate relationships, but friendships, how you approach jobs, how you approach school, things like that. So I guess my question is, how do you how has all of this helped you to be a international psychologist? Because I know we deal with various cultures and we see the issues there, uh, especially especially when it comes into if it's a masculine society or if it is, mm -hmm. you know, ruled by government more so than America. You know, the rights 
traditions, you know, <laughs> how did they go through life um, and interact with other people? Uh, how how can an international psychologist actually help in that space? Like, how do you feel that your experience can help you once you're out? Because, you know, we're at, you're about to graduate. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> it does. I know. Um, answer your question, I think it's a multi-level answer. Initially, as a child, I had to learn to adapt to any culture that came around me. So I had to learn who to be, how to act, what to say um, very early mm-hmm. on. Um, basically, the training was... If I tell you you're a cheerleader, you're a cheerleader. Mm. If I tell you you're a student, you're a student. Like, I had to adapt to the different cultures around me, but I never knew my own. Mm. And so as I've been in this program especially, I've really had to start asking those really hard questions of like, okay, who am I? What is my culture? Because the culture I grew up around was one of violence and pain and trauma and isolation. Mm-hmm. And that's not a culture that I wanted to continue on. And so I've had to adapt to different cultures. So I did a lot of observing first, like when I first started getting out of the trafficking and really started getting around people. I started observing what cultures appealed to me and which ones didn't in how I want to develop to develop my own personal culture. Um, Cause the, the culture I grew up in was very dominant. It mm-hmm. was very, you listen or you get disciplined or you get punished. And so there was always fear around it. And so now that I'm older, And in this program, just getting to explore, wow, there's a lot of diverse cultures that have some very beautiful qualities. Every culture has beautiful qualities. Mm -hmm. And it was like, what did I want my personal culture to be? And so um, thankfully, I was able to surround myself with spiritual family and people who really just brought me in and carried the culture that I wanted to have as my dominant culture. Um, so that's part of the answer. Um, the second phase of it, I believe is now that I'm in this program, I'm learning, I'm actually more of an indigenous psychologist than I am someone who approaches things from a Western framework. Absolutely. Because I believe that each one of us has different ways that we heal Mm -hmm. and it's important to find out what works for me. And what works for you, and it's going to be totally different. So how do I partner with you and what's going to help you get the healing you need? And part of that for me is I had a counselor who, or I still have a counselor, who chooses to do that. She got her degree in the very westernized culture, but she's allowed me the freedom to be able to say, well, I kind of want to bring in some body work mm-hmm. and she does the NPR. And so I was able to say, okay, what, do, what does my body need to process all this trauma? And so I was able to adapt my own counseling according to what I needed, which has helped strengthen my belief that indigenous psychology is always the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Because even if, you're the same ethnicity as someone else, even if you're, you speak the same language as someone else, you all still have a variant of your own personal culture. Exactly. And then you have your community culture and your family culture. So we all have varying degrees of what culture means to each of us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important with this degree, especially that people who work, especially with victims of trauma um, or survivors of any, any kind of disaster, it's really important to come alongside the individual and or the family unit. So if you're working with a collectivist culture, there's a a way to work with the family unit that's going to address their needs 
and help them heal without pushing my own beliefs on them. Mm-hmm. And I think my history really set me up to, to succeed in this degree because I have a lot of culture pushed on me. Right. So I know what it's like. And I've had a lot of counselors who are like, well, you need to do this, 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 and this. And if I didn't do it, well, you're just not drinking the Jesus juice. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, so they, they would push religion on me or they would push this on me. And it was really their own agenda because I, and it was never out of a heart of trying to harm me. It was more, they didn't really understand what I personally needed and they didn't take the time to explore what I needed mm-hmm. or help me figure out what I needed. And so I think this program specifically really helps me do that and helps me train other people to say, you know, let's take a step back. Let's get out of our own mind frame and our, our own framework and say, okay, what, what is it that you feel like you need? And if you don't know, let's explore things in your culture and let's explore things in other cultures to figure out what you feel like would help. Exactly. And I think that empowers people and gives them a voice to their own healing. And then you have greater buying, mm-hmm. you have greater acceptance of really getting help because i think the number one reason people don't is because it's well you need to do this this and this and this and if that doesn't work for you then you failed yeah it's a lack of trust yeah and we need to get out of that framework and this degree really helps us do that and as you can see now like i'm nodding my head like i agree it's amazing because um when we talk about culture, I think the first thing that comes to people's minds is your ethnicity. This is your culture. But your culture really is how you interact with other people, how you choose to live your life. And you can create, like you said, you can create your own culture. You don't have to subscribe to what people may think that you should be based off of your gender, your ethnicity, where you live. (laughs) It really is how can you cultivate a life or design a life that you are not only comfortable, but you're empowered to be yourself. As long as you're not hurting anybody else or hurting yourself, you know, do what moves you. And I, and I always say that I think maybe I don't explain it enough because in my head, I'm trying to touch on everybody, everybody's possible thought and cover it. And I think that's a part of being a psychologist as well. And in this program, because you're you're exposed, like you already know that there's more than what you know, right? This Western, the way we're taught and and things like that but as we go further into the program it's like what's common sense or seems to be common sense to most of us in the program you're exposed even more so to different cultures and ways of life and ways of thinking and it's like okay I've got to address all of this but I love that you said that indigenous psychology is the way to go I completely agree because With dealing with the mind and emotions, you have to holistically look at the person, everything. You can't just say, oh, well, this doesn't fit within the DSM. So, you know, let me me put something together or you don't fit. And I think especially for uh, people of color, a lot of things we just don't fit into. And so... And then you got to think about the historical trauma that comes with that. I'm not about to trust anybody that's doing, because I'll say for me, I was deterred. I wanted to be in psychology, but I was told so many times, no, 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 you don't want to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not for you. That's not what we do. And I'm like, what is that? Basically what that was is we don't trust psychologists or shrinks. That's what I always heard. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not with the prescribing of medicine. I think if there's a need, yes, go to a psychiatrist. However, my personal feeling when it comes to psychologists versus psychiatrists, I would rather do like we're talking about now, indigenous psychology, because they're therapy before medicine, because even in that realm, they're not able to, even if they wanted to holistically practice there's so many barriers with insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies they can't do their job 
and then you know you want to it's 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 so um there's a lot of conspiracy around that because you think about you know the guides that we know of and then take it 18 steps further to what they do and you really have to it's kind of like playing a matching game if you match or you fit within this criteria this is what i prescribe you not thinking about past trauma not thinking about you know what you're currently dealing with what you haven't healed from what you've seen what you've experienced and they're like you know every time you hear voices in your head does that mean that you're crazy <laughs> you know it, it's thoughts from the past that you haven't worked through if somebody has always told you you can't you can't you can't and as soon as you say okay I can this is something that I'm interested in I want to that voice comes back but you can't why can't I, you know, and it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a cycle, but that's, that's part of healing. And then recognizing that you have to heal and how to heal that goes. And it's just so much to, um, to address when we think about that and um, our culture and things like that. I, I love that you mentioned that. I love that. I you think, mentioned one that. Of the, think one of the biggest things that I've, I've experienced in my world is labels. Mm. People tack on a label, especially in the field of psychology and psychologists, they tack on a label and then tell you, like you're saying, once you have it, you always have it. Mm-hmm. And I have to disagree with that because as a, as a youth, I was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder. I had a lot of PTSD, a lot of, um, depression and things and, and got all these labels. And I mean, I didn't trust anybody. I wouldn't talk to anybody. You know, I mean, I really, I fit the criteria and I, I have reactive attachment disorder. And then I got the healthy people in my world and started making those choices to address the label. And I think that's one one area that we need to see more of, especially in the realm of psychology, is, is labels are meant to be used as giving guidance and direction, but not used as this is who you are and this is what you're going to have the rest of your life. And you're going to struggle forever. Um, because in the last four years, working with my psychologist and my, and my counselor, I don't have reactive attachment disorder anymore. I've completely been healed of that. Now I've had to face some really hard, painful things. But every single time I choose to face the hard stuff, the healing on the other side is so great that it makes it worth it. And I think instead of shying people away from facing the hard stuff and medicating and saying, well, if you just take this, you'll be better. Mm. It's like, no, you really have to you really have to choose to face the pain of the past, learn from it, take the parts that you want to take into your future and leave the rest of it in the past. And it it seems like an easier and a simple approach, but when you really delve into looking at the label and going, okay, reactive, reactive attachment disorder, what is that? What, you know, and then figure out how to face that. And purposefully choosing, even when there's pain in relationships, it's like my spiritual family. We've had issues. We've had barriers. We've had, but we made a commitment to each other to stick it out. And that commitment helped me fight the label. And I think as psychologists, our biggest thing, our biggest way we can help people really is to help them explore the labels and then rip the labels off. Yes. And to say, you know what, there is healing out there. There is treatments out there. We just have to find what works for you. And yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, the things that we went through in life are tough. Mm -hmm. But if we face them, then we go into our present and our future lives strengthened, empowered, and we have a foundation of, yeah, that didn't take me out. I'm still here and I'm a lot stronger. So that's what I'm going to take into the future. And even when things come up now, like I still get triggers. And then it's like, if I can't deal with that on my own, I call my counselor. And I think 
addressing the stigma of counselors mm. um, is a really big deal because so many learn in their programs when you have this, you always have this. They're never going to get better. So this is how you need to treat them. And I love that international psychology helps us start switching that mindset Yes. to say, no, this is just something you have. It's not who you are. And I think so many times when you go to a counselor or psychologist, they give you these labels and then all of a sudden it's, I'm a schizophrenic. And it's like, no, you're a human being that is dealing with a mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. You're not the disorder. So it's, it's really helping people shift that mind frame. And even us as psychologists, we have to shift that in our own thinking and in our own programs and fight the Western theology that once you have this, you're always going to have it because it's not true. If we really get to the root of the issue and you uproot the issue, you no longer have the issue. So therefore you're no longer dealing with that, the symptoms of that problem. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Look, it, you know what? It actually, it, it makes so many things clear on my end as well, because now definitely not saying that I did not need to heal because my God, and if we've had our conversations and I talk about on the podcast, <laughs> there are plenty of things, my God, you know, that, <laughs> you know, I needed to heal from, but I think the hard part is going into this program with not just the westernized viewpoint of psychology and disorders, but how we approach our own issues because it's either. So how I was, how I grew up is um, you pray about it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now God can't handle it. Nobody else, you know, here's the thing with that though. Here's the thing. Yes. God, all powerful, of course. Yes, absolutely. Definitely pray. You need some action. <laughs> you need some action behind the prayer because God does give you a level of power where you can take control. You can take these steps. There are people that are here to help you. And then too, we had to think about, we were not created to do life alone. We were not created to handle things alone. We're supposed to be within a community. I mean, unfortunately for the first, depending, our community may not be the people that we are physically around. I will tell you, my community of friends, of family, they don't live around me. (laughs) They they, they did not live around me. Like I have a few, so I'm not saying, and I'm I'm sorry for the people that actually live here. Y'all know who I'm talking about. But (laughs) for the most part, my support system is scattered. They, they're scattered. So it's, it's no thing to pick up the phone or text or even get on a um, Zoom call or something, which doesn't more so normal now, you know, to get that support in that direction or to talk me down from being so frustrated at something. Um, but, you know, really just to check your feelings, too, because you have to not just as a psychologist, but as an individual, you have to check your biases, your implicit bias, not just about you know, other people, because it's easy to point out, oh, no, well, this person should do this, this, and this. Okay, boo, but what about you? (laughs) What about you? How are you seeing this? And then I I see so many times where I may take things wrong, and it's not because the other person, now, sometimes they are wrong, but it's not because (laughs) sometimes that the other person is wrong. It's because I think immediately now, since I'm in the uh, habit of checking this, okay, I haven't healed from this because clearly I need for someone to validate this because I haven't been validated for, you know, adolescence, this time frame. Why is it that I'm still dealing with this? At I, I realize, um, you know, just how I deal with things just in a group of, especially when it comes to men. And it's like, okay, am I taking that wrong? Or like I immediately get not tense, but I'm very defensive. I'm very defensive at some times because I feel like, are you talking over me because you honestly have something valuable to say to this conversation? Or are you trying to be in control? And immediately I have to think, wait a minute, this is not your uncle. 
This is not your cousin. This is somebody that you work with, or this is somebody that you're doing class, you know, classroom uh, work with or study with. And that's not always the case. Because if you think about it, men just talk anyway. They just talk anyway. All of them are not trying to be dominion over you or, you know, trying to rule your life or be in control. Not all of them are narcissists. Some of them are. What am I doing? And why am I taking it this way right now in this moment? And so I, I know this this program, not to keep going on that, but this program definitely has helped in that area as well. But you talked a little bit about adapting because I think that that's something that is oversimplified often. Oh, you need to adapt, whether it's within your workplace or within the relationship, whatever the case may be. And I think that's heightened for women. Um, I don't know if you feel that way, but it's heightened for women when they're like, well, well, just be adaptable or just, you know, go with the flow. (laughs) You know, it's okay. If you just go with the flow, everything will be okay. I'm like, that's don't run. Yeah. I've heard that like in a professional setting. And and I had to look, I'm like, "Mm -mm, no, I don't do that. Look, there you go. You flip that thing all the way over, and you're gonna be under it. Yes, yes, and you will have to thank me later. I, but I just that that annoys me to my core. Why do we always have to adjust ourselves to fit within? Not well in all spaces, really. Like. How how do you feel about that? I'm I'm very similar. Um, I feel like I'm always adapting, and yet very few adapt to me. And part of that, for me, I've noticed that in some instances, that's my past speaking. Um, in some instances, you know, when I'm with a friend and they say something. I automatically jump to, well, see, now I have to adapt again, and you don't, you know. But then I have to, then I have to start just asking the questions and saying, okay, this is how it hit me. Was this how you meant it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and really learning how to ask the question because I've been adapting my whole life. I've had to. And sometimes you just get tired of adapting. And I think there's always going to be an element of it. But I think if I'm the only one adapting, then the balance is off. Yeah. Like when you, when you get in, like, okay, I'll use DFS as an example. When I, when I started working there, I let them know ahead of time that I had trauma, um, that I had a background. And yet... As soon as I got hired on and started working, it was like, no, 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 you need to adapt your behaviors. That shouldn't bother you. You just need to suck it up. And when I couldn't, which for me, I'm like, my past makes me a great social worker because I understand what these kids are going through and what the parents are going through because I've seen it. But... I was never allowed to utilize my story, to share my story. I had to adapt to their structure of doing things. And I rocked the boat a lot, uh, especially in court, because I'm not just going to say this script if I don't believe in it. And I think part of it for me that I've had to learn is what are my non-negotiables and mm-hmm. how I adapt and respond to a situation if it goes against my convictions i will not do it Mm -hmm. rather it's what the employer is telling me to do rather it's what uh someone is asking me to do um and I, i really try to surround myself with people who respect my boundaries and who never tells me to should something if they're shooting on you it's like shut them down Because I can't have someone telling me, well, you should do this, this, and this. Okay, well, how do you know Mm. that that's what I should do? Have you ever been through it? I'm the only one inside myself. I'm the only one that can speak to what's going on in my heart. Mm -hmm. And if my convictions are telling me not to do something, 
you can tell me I should all day long and I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to fight for what's right. And what's interesting is I came across a lot of barriers in my job, especially in court hearings and situations where I was like, I know this is what I'm supposed to say, but this is what I feel is best. And it was usually the opposite. Mm -hmm. But then months down the road, what I said initially is what really would have worked best in the situation that we were facing. And it would be brought up in court that, yeah, now we have to switch months later. And now we've provided more trauma for a family or for a situation. And so I've really learned that to assess and observe, okay, who is, who's adapting? Who, who is and who isn't? Mm-hmm. And if I'm in an employer where they don't adapt to me because of my trauma, I mean, it's not, I'm not asking people to cater to me. And I think that's the difference is a lot of, of people in this day and age, they go one way or the other full on. They're either a victim or they're a dominant. And I'm either going to adapt or I'm not going to adapt. And there's no middle ground. And I think we have to get into the mind frame of, There needs to be some adaption on their end, some adaption on our end, and then we can work together because we're both trying to understand the other person. And I think that's where the adaption is, is a lot of times it's an employer or a situation that's saying, this is what I, my expectations, and you're either going to do it or you're out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but, you know, I, I have some opinions and some things that may work better if we blend a little bit. But so what we're do you not both just making where I'm not cut out of it and you're not cut out of it, but we're blending together. We're both adapting to a situation. And then we also build stronger relationships mm-hmm. where the, the work that we do is better quality because our voice is being heard, their voice is being heard. And we're co-laboring together. I, I think that there are some companies that are starting to do that, but for the most part, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. a good old boy type of thing. Like it's it's yeah. like, you know, this is how we've always done it. Why change it now? And for you, why? <laughs> you know, you came right. here to work. So I'm I guess, mm, so what was your breaking point? Because I know. I know what mine was when I was like, okay, you know what? I am not going to always immediately and initially adapt just because that's what it, that's expected of me. Like, I think mm-hmm. depending on the circle too, you know, you're adapting for each circle, whoever knows you from whatever part of your life, that's what they're expecting of you. And you basically have to perform, you know, provide this uh stimulation that they're used to from you like i'm usually the goofy funny friend um you know it's very few people very few people where i can honestly be myself because depending on the day it will change and i know as far as now a work setting of course you know there's the level of professionalism there of course but then when when does it come to the the point where you feel empowered to not only be yourself but to add that value to the company and the company receives that and utilizes that as well? So, I what was your point where you were like, okay, nope, I'm done. I feel like now I'm ready, and this is why. I think my breaking point was actually very recently. Mm-hmm when I made the decision to leave the employer that I had, I was in complete burnout. So many, I was having to adapt constantly to so many things. I I just couldn't do it anymore. And for me, it was giving them a chance to make some adjustments. Um, Yes, I think that when you get into a company, you, you do a lot more adapting in the initial stages because you are coming into a an established organization and you're still trying to figure out where you fit and you bring a piece to that employer 
or else they wouldn't hire you. You have something that they need or else they wouldn't hire you. Mm -hmm. So there is some adjustment in that initial phase. And I think that most of the adjustment in the initial part of getting it, especially in an employment or even a friendship, is going to be a lot more on the employer side, going to be one-sided more at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then I think as you develop relationships with the employers and your coworkers and in different areas of that organization, it's kind of like a puzzle piece that it's like you're lining it up and then you're finally settling it in. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, okay, they have to make adjustments so that your piece fits just right in the slot that you were hired for. And it got to the point where I was continually being demeaned because I had all this experience and I was deemed a threat to those in leadership because I had more education than them. I could not tell them that I was getting my graduate degree because if you pursued your master's, they would fire you or push you out because you have more qualifications than your supervisors. Wait, 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 wait. And I apologize for cutting you off. I I, <laughs> I just want to make sure that I'm understanding what I just heard. Because it's possible I heard it wrong. So what you're telling me is... <laughs> you're telling me that a company will willingly fire you get rid of the employee because that employee decides to better themselves by obtaining a higher educational degree so that they can do their job better and that you would have more experience and education and know-how than your supervisor. That's correct. That was, mindset how does that work I, I don't understand Co- okay companies you <laughs> and I'm sorry because I I, I I feel ignorant now because this doesn't make any sense and where did the EEOC come in but so wait <laughs> so most companies pay for you to get extra education especially if it's within what you're already doing. You get even more money. So this actual company that is recognized by the government as a real business <laughs> that's yeah. imposed, help me understand that. So, okay. So the, the state office, which mm-hmm. was in a different city, okay, they support education. Okay. The local office, that I was in is ran by the local office. Uh, and there was a lot of unethical things that the supervisors did mm. throughout my entire time there, okay. uh, like addressing needs uh, or addressing concerns. You go up your chain of command. If none of that works, which we had a supervisor, then we had a district manager mm-hmm. and then we went to HR. I went through all of those, went and finally ended up at HR, which then turned around and called the district manager, told them everything I had said, and then I got an hour lecture of how I needed to keep my mouth shut, what happens in the office stays in the office, and, and so there was a lot of unethical things happening in the local branch that I was in, and a lot of that, I think the supervisors are given a lot of power and the district manager followed the lead of his supervisors. So if you had a complaint with the supervisor, you went to the district manager, he would call that supervisor in and you in and say, okay, why do you have a problem with this person? Because I'm going to back them, not you. And so you, you really have to learn to adapt to that. And so every single social worker who started to pursue their master's got pushed out. They got an exuberant amount of cases or everybody would just ignore them. I mean, there was, there was always some level of 
issue or barrier that then pushed that employee employee out of the office. And for me, I had a lot of personal life experience mm-hmm. that I brought to the table that nobody would wanted to hear in the supervisory realm. So if there was a training on human trafficking, which I'm very knowledgeable in, not only personally, but educationally, they still hired someone who had no idea what to do to come in and speak about human trafficking. And instead of utilizing who's in their office, because they viewed me as a threat. And I was told out by multiple coworkers to watch my back. Wow. I was a threat to them. Um, I had brain surgery, was out for eight weeks, came back and found out that the, the supervisors had told people that I was going to die on the table, not to expect me back, uh, which obviously I came back. And within six hours of being back in the office, I had a meeting with the supervisors saying that I was creating a hostile work environment. Oh, okay. I was like, I was literally meeting with one person training on a new position that they put me in, even though that was illegal, because I was under FMLA. So there was a lot of dynamics in that that they really, if they didn't like you or they viewed you as a threat, they put mm-hmm. you out. Okay. And I think my breaking point was when I had actually turned in my notice because I was planning on moving out of state anyway. But I turned in my notice, was given another case, and the supervisor started deleting things and adding things in that case that I knew was a setup. Because they didn't oh, have gosh. a couple other people who had worked at that specific wow. office. And so I went against everything in me and left my keys and walked out. I'm not one to never, like, I always give a two-week notice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've never walked out before. But I'm like, if you're going to set me up mm-hmm. to try to get into where you can never hire me again or make my name look bad, I'm out. Yeah. And so at that point, you, you, I had observed enough throughout the three and a half years, four, almost four years that I worked there, that I saw, okay, I'm the only one adapting. I'm the only one having to change who I am to fit this position and come across barriers where I don't. And so, and then you want to set me up. And then I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. Um, and I think that's the thing is, is you really have to assess and observe your length in the company. Like mm-hmm. if, if you're there after your six months or your probationary period is over and you're still the only one having to make adjustments, I think that's cause for communication mm-hmm. with your supervisors. And I've tried that multiple times. Like I never wanted to just quit because I didn't like something. I pushed through years, had multiple conversations, trying to get some change going in the office and and nothing. You went there shaking up stuff. You can't you went up there shaking up stuff and they were not ready to make change. Wow. I was the one that was gonna have to make the change. Yeah. And I think that It's very important, especially for women to understand when you're working for an employer or you're working for somebody or you're in relationship with somebody, if after that certain initial time frame of really just getting to know each other or really just trying to to navigate a new position, organization, and you're still the only one making adjustments, it's time to Mm reevaluate. And it's okay to reevaluate and it's okay to say, you know, if that's how you want to operate, that's fine. That's your choice. You can, you can operate your organization that way, but I have to make adjustments and decisions for myself. And if this isn't working for me and you're not willing to meet me and make some changes, then I'm going to be a powerful woman and I'm going to make the changes to, to leave. Thank you so much for listening to Get Into It Podcast. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Make sure you subscribe, comment, and share with others. Also, make sure you follow us on social media. 
IG, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Let me know what you thought of today's podcast. I upload episodes every week on Tuesdays. Until then, peace, love, and light. Go get us.